Entrepreneur on Fire 877. If you wait to get everything right or to have perfect clarity, you may be waiting your whole life just to live your life. John Lee Dumas presents EO Fire and FreePodcastCourse.com. Launch your podcast in 15 days and ignite. Looking for an automated investment service that helps you rebalance your portfolio, reinvest dividends, and maximize your after-tax returns? Wealthfront is ready to serve you. Fire Nation, get your first $10,000 managed completely free by visiting Wealthfront.com slash fire. Your branding is the face of your business. Make a great impression with creative professional designs from 99designs. Visit 99designs.com slash fire and get a power pack upgrade free. Entrepreneurs near and far, John Lee Doom is here, and I am fired up to bring you our featured guest today, Jeff Goins. Jeff, are you prepared to ignite? I was born ignited, John. Yes! <laughs> the path to your life's work is both difficult and mysterious, Fire Nation, which is why few find it. The Art of Work is a book about discovering your true calling, that thing you were born to do. Through personal experience, compelling stories, and current research on the mysteries of motivation and talent, Jeff shows you how to find work that matters. Jeff, I'm going to hand it over to you in a second here, but I just want to kind of jump in because Fire Nation, a lot of you that are listening right now, you've heard Jeff's story, his journey before, because he's been on a past episode of Entrepreneur on Fire. If you want to listen to it again after this interview or for the first time, just go to eofire.com, find our search bar that's right there and just type Jeff and that will pop right up. It's an amazing story, an amazing journey, and we have a lot of fun on that interview. But today I've brought him back on to talk about something that I'm incredibly excited to share with you, Fire Nation, his new book, The Art of Work. Now, Jeff, I have some questions I want to ask you specifically about this book, but before we dive into those, just take a couple minutes, um, say what's up again to Fire Nation, let us know a little deets about what you've been up to recently, and uh, then we'll kick it off. Yeah, thanks for having me back on, John. Yeah. And wow, eight hundred and seventy-seven. Did <laughs> yes, you say? Yes, I did. That's incredible, man. That's 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 amazing. I'm sure, that feels great. Uh, yeah, glad to be uh, two of those eight hundred. Yeah, you know, two eight hundred and seventy-seventh. That's of more the show. than two percent. <laughs> Wait, no, that's more it's, than point two percent. That's right. Uh, yeah. So. Um, yeah, I, I love that interview and um, shared a lot of my story. What I've been up to since then is, uh, for those who don't know my story, I'm. Uh, quit my job a few years ago to become a full-time writer and run an online business, helping online writers and content creators uh, find the audience that their work deserves. And this book, The Art of Work, is a book that I've wanted to write ever since my 30th birthday, which was the day, the last day of working a traditional job uh, before I became a full-time entrepreneur. And I've wanted to talk about this journey of making this transition because so many people have been asking me about it you know, since I, I quit my job and really got to chase my dream. Uh, and I finally wrote this book uh, that's not just about my journey, but about the journey of transitioning from, uh, you know, doing a day job, kind of doing work as usual to uh, doing your dream job, finding the work that you were uh, born to do. And I'm really excited to share it with uh, Fire Nation. 
Well, I don't want to waste any time because we have so much awesomeness to get into. And again, Fire Nation, you want to hear Jeff's backstory. It's inspiring to anybody who's on the edge of taking that leap or or just knows that it's going to be coming up in the future. He talks about really making it in a very tailored way. And Jeff, you're only our 26th repeat guest of these 877 Entrepreneur Fire interviews. So you're in rarefied air, my friends. And that's why I wanted to start off with this question, because I am a huge believer in going from success to significance as an entrepreneur. And one of the other 26 repeat guests that I've had is my good friend, Aaron Walker, who brought this phrase to me that I've just kind of globbed onto because I love it so much, going from success to significance. And in The Art of Work, you talk about when our interests connect with the needs of the world, we begin to live for a larger purpose. What's that larger purpose? How is this proven to be true in your own life? Yeah, so I love that uh, quote that you shared from Aaron. Um, Thanks. I, 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 uh, he's, uh, he's a fellow Nashvillian and uh, had the pleasure of getting to sit down with him a couple of times. Great. Super inspiring guy. And uh, I think he's right. I think that it's not just enough to be successful at life. In the art of work I talk about, uh, you have to succeed at the right things. And I do think it's possible to make a lot of money, have a great job, be famous, And at the end of your life, realize that you succeeded at the wrong things. And so Mm. uh, finding a larger purpose is really finding a story that is about more than you, uh, being a part of something that is uh, bigger than you, where the the work that you you do is making an, an impact on the world and changing people's lives. There's buzzwords that always crop up. I mean, as entrepreneurs, we hear them all the time and, you know, people get annoyed. They're like, oh, hashtag this, hashtag that. Like, you know, there's just buzzwords. It seems to be everywhere. You can't go anywhere without them. And, you know, one of those buzzwords that we've both seen that's really been coming to the top of the surface recently is calling. Now, what does that mean in the contents of this book? Like, what does this word calling exactly mean? And how do you dive into its deeper meaning in your book? So I love that word calling and I use it in in the book quite a bit because uh, like you, John, I've been hearing it a lot culturally, people uh, referring to the work that they do or the work that they want to do, not just as a dream, but as a calling. And I I like that word because um, I think there's, you know, I think there's some weightiness to it where it's not just about what you want to get out of life, but uh, it's about uh, having a deeper purpose, doing meaningful work uh, where, you know, in, in some sense, something or someone is calling to you. And uh, I think, you know, the original word for work, uh, vocation, you know, one of the words uh, meant calling. I mean, we don't we don't think of a vocation in the sense of, you know, some, you know, grand work that we have to do. A lot of times, you know, think about vocational school or something. It's just a job. But I think work was always meant to be more than just a job, something that just, you know, occupied your time, which is what I think of as, you know, an occupation. Uh, So in the context of the book, a calling, quite simply, is the reason that you were born. And I think everybody has a calling. uh, And, you know, where that comes from, what it means to you, I think is is a personal, you know, thing for people. Uh, But I believe, and I hear this uh, resonating in culture again and again, talking to people um, in all, you know, areas of life who uh, want to do something more with their lives, they're talking about this. Whether, whether they use the word calling or not, they believe that they were uh, born to do something more than just, you know, work uh, a nine to five doing something that they hate. 
So Jeff, to dive deeper into this word calling, you know, I plucked something out that to me spoke volumes in just four words. You know, you wrote, listen to your life. Those are great words. It's an awesome thing to, to do if you can, but how do we do that? There's this great book that I read, uh, you know, if you're struggling with some of these uh, questions, I'd, I'd recommend it. I mean, first read my book, but then read this book. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, it was by a guy named Parker Palmer, who was this, um, activist and, you know, also an author, of course, uh, he had a, a book called let your life speak. And, uh, in that book, he, uh, he, he says that, um, before I can tell my life what I want to do with it, I need to listen to my life telling me who I am. And in that book, he really explores this idea of don't just try to succeed. Don't just try to be awesome at something. Try to find the right thing. And the best way that you can find the right thing that you're supposed to do is to listen to your life, which means pay attention to the things that you've done, the things that you've always done, uh, and see how they resonate with you. Now, don't misunderstand this and think that whatever you've done in the past is going to, um, you know, uh, it's going to map out your future. I don't think the past dictates the future, but it does inform it. It does give us an idea of, um, you know, what we're good at, the things that we're passionate about. Uh, for, for example, I've never been good at math that I should want to go be an accountant or something. You know, I need to pay attention to things that I've always loved and always been good at. And what can that tell me about myself uh, that will give me some direction, you know, in, in regards to my calling? I think that's huge. I mean, when I, back in 2012, looked at my life from afar and I said, like, what are the things that I'm doing intraday that bring me inspiration, that bring me happiness, that I actually look forward to, Yeah, I kept coming back to podcasts. And I was just listening to them. I was just consuming them, but they lit me up inside. The conversations that people were having with entrepreneurs, I loved being a fly in that wall, but I wanted to be a part of that conversation. And I wanted it to be a conversation I was having every day, seven days a week. I mean, I was like, if I could do anything, I'd be having these type of conversations. So I listened to my life and that's what my life was telling me. And, you know, here we are 877 episodes later, I've had quite a few of those conversations, Jeff. Yeah, I, I love that story, John, because, you know, basically what you did is you took something that resonated with you, something that you were passionate about, and you connected it with uh, the needs of an audience. You found something that resonated with you and also resonated with somebody else uh, and, and connected that passion and that need that the world had. And I think that's a great recipe for finding your calling. Yeah. And so people right now, Jeff, they're listening and they're saying, well, you know, how do I find my calling? How do I know what happiness means for me? And to kind of break it down real quick, there's a quote that I love from Earl Nightingale is that success and happiness is the gradual realization of a worthy ideal. And two words that are key for me there is gradual and worthy. It's that gradual realization. And then not just of any ideal, but a worthy ideal. And so how do you in your book link the idea of happiness to this pursuit of finding your life's work? So I, like I said before, I think it's possible to succeed at the wrong thing. You know, you can, you can chase the, you know, the, the wrong uh, goal or, you know, fire at the wrong uh, target. And I love that Nightingale quote uh, because it sounds, you know, it sounds kind of easy. And then when he kind of gets into it, no, this takes time, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, I've listened to that audio program a bunch of times yeah. and he talks about getting up every morning and repeating to yourself uh, the things that, you know, you uh, want out of life. But having a worthy goal is essential. It's not just any old thing, you know, it's really having something that's uh, worthy of your aspiration. I think ultimately, I mean, there's this great Jackie Robinson quote that I'll, I'll paraphrase, uh, but he basically says, a life is only significant if it's lived for others. 
And, and so if your goal is about making you happier, more successful, sexier, uh, it's not really a worthy goal. You know, it's selfish and, and maybe you'll achieve it, uh, but I don't think you'll be happy. Um, there's some interesting research uh, about um, kind of the science of, of happiness. A guy named Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, which is always a fun name to try to say uh, and not stumble over. You nailed it. <laughs> He talks about flow, and there's a great TED talk about this, uh, and you just, you know, don't try to spell his name, but just, you know, Google the word flow. He talks about how happiness is basically where your competency meets a challenge, and he says if you're too competent, if you're too good at it, and it's not challenging enough, you'll be bored, and if it's too hard and you're not competent enough, uh, you're going to be anxious. It's going to create anxiety, and so the sweet spot of finding meaningful work is to find something that's difficult, but you also bring some, you know, important skills to the table so you can accomplish the task. Fire Nation, if you're sitting down writing right now, I know there's smoke coming out of your pencil because Jeff is just dropping some value bombs, some value bombs here. And that audio uh, book that we're talking about, that program is by Earl Nightingale called The Strangest Secret. So definitely check that out. Of course, you can just Google Flow TEDx to get to that great talk. And I love that phrase, that quote, Jeff, where your competency meets a challenge. That's, that's a sweet spot right there, Fire Nation. And something else, Jeff, I talk a lot on Entrepreneur on Fire about being an apprentice, about going to people who are where you want to be and saying, how can I add value to you? How can I become an apprentice to what you're doing where you know I'm not detracting from what you're doing, but I'm adding to that and, and that is just an unbelievable way to go about things. You know, for me, it was hiring a mentor. I added value by investing heavily in that mentor. I mean, so I was adding to them financially, but there's other ways to do that as well. And you speak about apprenticeship as a key part of finding your purpose. So how is apprenticeship a plausible solution to, air quotes, unemployment? It's an old-fashioned idea, right? We don't really talk about apprenticeship anymore. We talk about internship, which is like you know probably the best-case scenario for you know most of us at least you know living in Western culture, uh, where you know you go to college for four years if you're lucky, and then you know towards the end of that, you know maybe you get a couple of internships, you know getting donuts for your boss or whatever, <laughs> and if you're lucky, like that lasts like four or five months, right? And then all of a sudden you're supposed to be ready to go, you know, have a great job or you know start a business or, or do something. It's just doesn't work. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't work that way. Real apprenticeship is about you know doing what you did, John, which is uh, coming under the teaching of somebody else, serving their vision, Don't, not serving your own, serving their vision, finding out what success looks like, helping somebody else succeed, and then you kind of see how it's done. And after uh, a usually a long period of time, uh, typical apprenticeship in the Middle Ages and even you know the beginning of the Renaissance was about seven years of apprenticeship and then three years of doing it and then you could become a master. So the whole process took 10 years. Now, not a lot of us are going to be able to go find somebody who is, um, you know, willing to, uh, you know, let us work in their, you know, wood shop or something for 10 years. It's not a, a practical <laughs> thing. But I talk about an accidental apprenticeship, about using the relationships and mentors and people that come alongside you at just the right time, which I think always happens. We just have to have eyes to see it. Using all those relationships uh, as a kind of informal education to get to where you want to be. And I think one of the best examples of that is Steve Jobs. You know, he went to Reed College. 
had to drop out because he couldn't afford to stay there. So he started auditing some classes. He went to this calligraphy class that uh, you know he uh, later on attributed to all the great typography that you know the Apple products use. And uh, then he went and worked, you know, at, at um, Atari, uh, again, kind of learning, you know, for, you know, under the tutelage of somebody else. And he had all of these different experiences that when he hodgepodge them together, they looked like an accident. They looked like he was just drifting from one job to the next. But he was being very intentional about the things that he was learning, the relationships that he was building uh, and the skills that he was acquiring so that when he went to found Apple, he had a lot of the skills uh, in place to start that company, but he didn't have all of them because then he got fired. <laughs> then he went to Pixar and really learned how to be a CEO uh, in a much smaller context where he could fail small without having to fail big, and then went back to Apple, and you know, we all know how that story ended. Fire Nation, what I just really want you to be absorbing here is don't be afraid of being an apprentice. Don't be afraid of spending your time, and yes, it is your most valuable resource time, but learning the things that you want to be learning from those who have that knowledge. They've distilled it down into a vial, and they're willing to hand it to you if you go about it in the right way. Jeff, we have a lot of awesomeness coming up, but we're going to take a minute here to thank our sponsors. Knowing how to communicate clearly and effectively exactly what it is you're looking for is important. For example, telling your mechanic that the thingy in the engine is broken probably isn't too helpful. It's the same idea when you're trying to communicate with designers about your project. The more specific you can be about your request, the better the chances that they can meet or exceed your expectations. 99designs makes this process easy. In fact, I just finished up a logo contest with them for my new podcast, Free podcast course, so I speak from firsthand experience. With a creative brief catered to entrepreneurs and small business owners, they set you up for a successful project where over 900,000 designers compete to deliver you the best design. The best part is, projects start at just $199, and your happiness is always 100% guaranteed. Visit 99designs.com slash fire and get a $99 power pack of services free. And check out the past contests that I've run myself. That's 99designs.com slash fire. Ready for an automated investment service? It has arrived. Wealthfront is an automated investment service that makes it easy to invest your money the right way by monitoring your account 24-7 and automatically rebalancing your portfolio, reinvesting dividends, and working to maximize your after-tax returns. Wealthfront software manages your money using investment strategies that were previously only available to the wealthiest investors. Plus, Wealthfront charges only 0.25% per year, less than one-fourth the cost of a traditional investment advisor. Fire Nation, Get your first $10,000 managed completely free by visiting Wealthfront.com slash fire. That's Wealthfront.com slash fire. Wealthfront Inc. is an SEC registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are offered through Wealthfront Brokerage Corporation, member FINRA and SIPC. This is not a solicitation to buy or sell securities. Investing in securities involves risk and there is a possibility of losing money. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Please visit Wealthfront.com slash fire to read their full disclosure. Jeff, we have very similar views on failure. That's why I've started every single Entrepreneur on Fire episode, except my repeat ones, having my guests share their biggest failure. Because I want my listeners to realize that, hey, I'm talking to successful entrepreneurs. Jeff is a successful entrepreneur, but I'm going to make him tell a failure story because I want you, the listener, to realize that failure is part of the journey. And in fact, it just makes us stronger. So 
How does failure lead us to success, Jeff? Well, John, do you play basketball? I do. <laughs> <laughs> I, at five foot seven, uh, I play basketball poorly. Uh, but I remember the first time I was, um, I saw this move that I thought was cheating, where uh, I was in middle school or something and I was playing basketball with my friends, again, very poorly. And uh, this, you know, this kid was dribbling towards me and I kind of got in his face and he stopped and he planted his left foot. And then with it, and then I tried to knock the ball out of his hand. And with his right foot, he kind of kicked himself around. You know, his left foot was planted and then his right foot was pivoting around. Uh, and he kind of did this full like 360 and then, you know, threw the ball to a teammate. And I was like, what the heck? That's traveling. And I started yelling at him. I was like, you cheated because I'm watching his foot run around. And, you know, at in seventh grade, I thought that was traveling, you know, moving your feet. And he goes, no, it's a pivot. You can do it. And I think there's some lesson in there about success and also about failure. Uh, I used to think that successful people who had these stories of failure, that you do a great job of cataloging, and I love when people share those failures, but I thought they succeeded in spite of their failures. Mm. I don't believe that anymore. I believe successful people succeed because of their failures. We often think of failures as an obstacle to work through, but what if they were actually the means to success? And to go back to that pivot analogy, you know, a pivot is a really beautiful move because when you've run out of all options, you know, you've dribbled, you've stopped, you've taken, you know, uh, you know, the couple of steps that you can take. Uh, again, I don't, you know, I'm not real savvy on the rules of basketball, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you're stuck, right? Well, not exactly because you can still pivot and pass the ball in a different direction. And when I was writing this book, I came upon this uh, really interesting story about this a uh, company that started out as a nonprofit in Chicago called The Point, and the uh, whole goal of of this uh, company was to um, basically use social media to get people together to go do something good, like you know, uh, go give away T-shirts or um, you know, volunteer at this charity. It was a social organization to go do good, uh, and they would basically vote. They would say, "Let's use social media to get you know twenty five people to go volunteer at this nonprofit," and it didn't work. Mm. And after losing about a million dollars dollars of, you know, startup capital, uh, they realized they needed to pivot. And so they made one small tweak instead of going out and, you know, doing charitable works, which they thought people would be excited to go do. Uh, they said, what if we just get a bunch of people together and try to buy something at a group discount? And $13 billion later, uh, at the time of Groupon's IPO, uh, they made quite a splash <laughs> with, with that model. And it was all because of this pivot. If they had actually kept working you know, at the thing that they failed at, they never would have became the company that became uh, Groupon. And so there's something really beautiful about using your failure and turning it into success, not by fighting with it necessarily, but you know, using it to pivot in the right direction. Fire Nation, you know how I love when we tell stories in a really powerful way. And you can just tell the way that Jeff revealed Groupon, that he is a master storyteller. So Jeff, thanks for that mini lesson right there. And failure makes you anti-fragile, Fire Nation. And there's a great book by Nassim Nicholas Tlaib. Have you read the book, Anti-Fragile, Jeff? I haven't, but I'm writing it down right now. Unbelievable. And it's all about that. It's about how when you do fail... You know, you're like building up a resistance. You're becoming anti-fragile. And as an entrepreneur, we are making ourselves anti-fragile when we are training ourselves like a Swiss army knife. You know, we're ready for anything, whatever life's going to throw at us, whatever economic downturn or upswing, we can pivot. We can do these things because we're building these skills as entrepreneurs. So 
how can we ensure life security? And I'm putting life security in air quotes because I, I don't necessarily love the job security because I, I want more for Fire Nation life security through developing a diverse portfolio of skills. So Robert Greene, if, if you've not read the book Mastery, uh, that's a great book uh, to read, full of a lot of these you know, inspiring stories, both contemporary and historical stories of success, of uh, people taking individuals, mastering their skills, and you know, kind of becoming world famous for becoming great at something. And in that book, he says that the future belongs to people who take a few skills and combine them in interesting ways. And I think of that as a portfolio. Uh, I remember talking to... Uh, uh, an author uh, who is this famous author, you know, sold tons of books. And I asked him, like, how do you actually make money? And he listed off like five or six different revenue streams from consulting to speaking to book sales to, uh, you know, doing this like, you know, behind the scenes, you know, coaching thing that he did that nope, that he's not known for, but actually is a, you know, big contribution for his income. And what he was describing was not one thing that he did, but rather a portfolio of skills. And I think we're seeing a shift in the world of work and certainly in our culture uh, away from just doing one thing, you know, into repetition for 40 years and then retiring and, you know, getting your pension. First of all, you know, there aren't a lot of organizations that are sticking around for 40 years. Uh, Second of all, a lot of those organizations are downsizing. And third of all, perhaps most importantly, um, individuals are wanting more freedom in their career. And uh, we realize that we're not robots, that uh, we have many different interests. You know, John, I know that you like, uh, you know, shark hunting with spears. (laughs) I mean, you know, like that's very different from inspiring entrepreneurs and podcasting. Uh, but what if your career wasn't one thing that you mastered, but a set of a few skills, a portfolio that you then offered the world that was both personally fulfilling, because again, I think we have many interests, uh, but also uh, created a very unique brand in the marketplace. Because if you want to be the world's best entrepreneur, or the world's best writer or whatever, that's kind of hard, right? Uh, because it, there's, you know, it, there's a lot of those people. It's a busy space. And what does it actually mean? But if you can niche down and say, I'm, you know, I'm the best writer who also uh, has a podcast and, you know, hunts uh, sharks on the side, all of a sudden that becomes <laughs> a much more interesting portfolio that is going to connect with individuals where people go, yep, that's the guy for me. I want to connect with that person or that, that business. And so I think a portfolio is it helps you fulfill all of those unique interests. And I think it also helps you connect with individuals, you know, that can become customers, followers, you know, what, whatever your thing is. But I think it's the, the best way to add the most value to the world. Fire Nation, if you don't know what Jeff's talking about with me and a spear in the ocean <laughs> and a shark, then why have you not been to my About Me page? I mean, it's a pretty <laughs> awesome uh, photograph that was done by an incredibly talented photographer slash designer. I'm not really stabbing a shark, but the shark's name is Fear, and that's what we're all about here, taking down fear. So I love that analogy, Jeff, and that's exactly what we're all about. And I can tell you something that gives a lot of people fear as well. You know, it's that that terminology that you just hear thrown around everywhere. You know, Malcolm Gladwell is probably the guy that made it most famous recently. But that 10,000 hour rule, you know, it says this, if you do something for 10,000 hours, you'll actually become good at it. But you kind of take the opposites. You have kind of play a little devil's advocate here. You say, that's simply not true. So debunk this myth for us. So when I was writing this book, I was reading a ton of books about skill acquisition, uh, really talking about this idea of how do you become great at something? Because, uh, you know, as I was transitioning from just, you know, doing a day job to really pursuing my dream, 
I wanted to be great at it, and I wanted to understand what was required for that. And uh, yeah, there's this there's this uh, famous you know term, the ten thousand hour rule, which Gladwell talks about in Outliers. But really, he's referencing um, an older uh, study by a guy named K. Anders Ericsson. He and a team of researchers from the University of Florida. Um, you know, basically study what they call deliberate practice, where they look at all of these musicians who are world class and they try to identify, you know, what makes them great. And one of the uh, one of the qualifiers is that they have all accumulated a minimum of ten thousand. 10,000 hours worth of practice. And so the problem with that is that's just one of the ideas we really don't unpack that. We think if you do something for 10,000 hours, you can become great at it. And there's been a lot of more interesting research over the past few years about why that's not true, why depending on the field, it can be much less than 10,000 hours. And then then in other circumstances, it can be much more. Uh, My position on it, quite simply, is um, you can't just spend a bunch of time uh, and try to get good at something. I remember watching American Idol and seeing people who had practiced for years. I watched, watched this one girl one time. Uh, if you Google American Idol Rejects, by the way, you can see a lot of these videos <laughs> on YouTube. And they're painful to watch. But there was this one woman named Stephanie Fitch, Fisher who had auditioned seven times and just completely bombed every time. And if you were to ask her, have you been practicing? She would go, yeah, I've been practicing for years. And so what if there was much more to practice and getting great at something than, than just putting the hours in? And there's a guy uh, that I interviewed, an author by the name of Daniel Coyle, who wrote a great book called The Talent Code, where he says that um, in order to become great at something, it's not just about putting time into it. It's about putting the right kind of time. And if you're going to put the right kind of time into an activity, you had better love it and uh, you better be motivated to do it. You know, like don't just decide you want to become a, a world famous golfer or something if you don't love golf. And, you know, this is why, you know, I am not a professional basketball player. So the 10,000 hour rule is is really much more complex than that. It's not just about putting uh, time and it's about putting the right amount of time for the right activity that connects with your you know interests and and needs and in some cases it can be much less than ten thousand hours in other cases it's going to be much more. Fire Nation, we've been talking about a lot of awesome stuff today. I mean, American Idol rejects the flow TED Talk, a lot of great links. These are all going to be on Jeff's show notes page on Entrepreneur on Fire. So if you go to eofire.com, just find the search bar. It's all over the site. Just type in Jeff or his last name, and that's G-O-I-N-S. And that's going to take you to either this episode 877 or Jeff, you are actually episode 454. So almost- 400 episodes ago, which is pretty crazy. And that's going to take you, Fire Nation, right to the show notes page. And we have a a few more questions, but I want to take a second here as well, just to let you know that this is going to be a game-changing book for you, Fire Nation, if you take the time to read The Art of Work. And again, we're going to talk about this at the end again, Jeff. I just wanted to slide in here for Fire Nation that if you go to eofire.com slash art, we have something pretty cool cooked up for you there for anybody in Fire Nation that is interested in The Art of Work, this book. And that's eofire.com slash art, A-R-T. And Jeff, we talked about the Swiss Army Knife Entrepreneur, you know, how you need to have skills and be flexible and be learning and be anti-fragile. Why does the next generation have to be more entrepreneurial and flexible than ever before? There's this really interesting uh, study uh, conducted not too long ago, and these findings came out. Uh, Forbes popularized them. There are several uh, other publications that published the the study uh, where they found that – 
the uh, they basically predicted that you know the way organizations are shrinking. I talked about that earlier, and and kind of you know people's desire to you know become uh, more uh, independent with their with their work. Uh, if those trends continue, that by the year 2030, over half of the workforce is going to be freelance. Wow. In other words, they're going to have multiple jobs, and, they, and they're not going to have one full-time gig, wow. uh, it, it, which means that they're going to have to think entrepreneurially. They're going to have to think in terms of their work, not just as one job that they go to every every day at 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning and then come home for dinner and do that you know, for 40 years, but how do I hodgepodge a bunch of different activities together that hopefully you know, I have skills to offer? Uh, in a portfolio that is going to make a living for myself. And so one of the reasons why I love this show is because you, John, are preparing people who right now probably feel like you're on the cutting edge. Like you're thinking about, uh, you know, working for yourself or, you know, you have a business and you're trying to grow it, uh, especially if it's online or it's, you know, some non-traditional uh, deal. It feels kind of weird. Like yeah. I, like given what I do, I still feel kind of weird. I go to dinner parties <laughs> and I'm usually in the minority and people are like, you have a blog and what is that? And I'm like, I oh, forget it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> What I'm saying, if this study is true, is that those conversations are not going to be weird in our lifetime. In the next 10 or 15 years, in fact, the conservative estimate is that by 2020, 40 to 50 percent of the population, uh, you know, the workforce is going to be freelance. And so whether you like it or not, and I know if our nation likes it, um, we're going to be thrust into the role of entrepreneur very, very soon in our lifetime. So the question is, are you going to be ready for it? It's insane. And I'm just thinking about my friends and my little close circle here, Jeff. When I started a podcast, people were like, John has gone off the deep end. Finally, <laughs> like he's, he's been threatening to go off the deep end for a right. while, but he's finally done it. Like, what is this yeah. weird thing that he's doing? And that was just a couple years ago, Fire Nation. Now, fast forward to where we are today. Um, my very conservative and traditional brother-in-law now has a podcast that he does every week <laughs> on commercial real estate. Kate's sister quit her job in banking, started an Etsy store, and now is asking us to recommend Etsy podcasts that she can be featured on for her store. Uh, one of our close friends here in San Diego is trying to quit her job right now to start a dog biscuit baking company and wants to start a podcast around that. I mean, it's like, it's insane that my friends who just two, two and a half years ago were like, John, you're just so weird. Like, let us know when you come back to the real world are just jumping ship left and right and are so excited about it. And and that's just in two years, Jeff. I mean, I couldn't agree with you about the 10 years. And maybe my only disagreement is it might be a little sooner than that. I think it could be. Yeah, I think that's a conservative <laughs> estimate. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. And so this idea of a portfolio life, which is a term that I borrow from uh, an author named Charles Handy, he wrote this really interesting business book. I know we're throwing out a lot of books here, but I, I yeah. know you know you got you got you and and I and the, your audience likes to read uh, called the Age of Unreason. And there's a chapter in that book. Again, this is from 1989. He predicts this. He predicts that uh, in the future we're all going to be what he calls portfolio people, uh, which is that we're going to have multiple gigs, doing different things to make a living and a life for ourselves. And he argues this is actually the way people are wired. And so this is this is not a scary thing. I mean, it might feel a little bit scary, but you know, you've got great resources like Entrepreneur on Fire that are going to prepare you for this. Uh, <laughs> but um, it, it is, it's a good thing. It's, it's uh, you know, I, I won't speak for you, John, but um, uh, it's more, it's a more fulfilling way to live. And it doesn't mean that it's not you know, that it's easy and, you know, that there aren't challenges. Uh, but I get up every day pretty excited to go to work. 
Well, Jeff, thank you for not speaking for me, but you now have my permission to do so whenever because <laughs> we are we are so aligned, and I echo yeah. all of that. Fire Nation and Jeff, let's let's kind of wrap up here. Um, we're gonna have a couple things at the end where we're talking, you know, more about where they can find this amazing book and and so much more. But why did you write this book? Like, did you see an explicit need within the workforce and within today's professionals that just demands this change of perspective that you just said? the art of work must be written. I did. I mean, like, like I said, I, I experienced this personally, but just because I have some sort of personal experience, I don't think is reason enough to write a book. I think you need to write a book because you see something happening in the world that somebody hasn't named yet, uh, or you know, you, you see a lot of people talking about something, and, and it's just not true, or there's another side to it. And I felt both of those promptings when I finally decided to write The Art of Work. I was, frankly, I was tired of people lying about uh, success, because in my experience, it didn't work the way that you know traditional people said that it worked. And I felt like there was another side of the story. And so I'm not saying that all those people are wrong, but I'm saying that there's another side of the story. And whenever I write a book, I read a lot of books, a lot of articles, because I want to find out what people are saying about work, about purpose, uh, about success, and you know really get a pulse on you know what, what people are saying. Uh, and uh, I found that basically there are two narratives. One narrative is the narrative of the self-made man or woman, which is that if you can believe it, you can achieve it, you know, just go pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, you know, don't pay attention to, you know, the things that have happened to you in the past and don't worry about failure. You go be awesome because, you know, I'm awesome. It's sort of the guru approach. And I find it really, you know, demoralizing because I just don't connect with that. I've got all these like (laughs) failures and insecurities and I'm going, well, what about me? Like, what about, you know, ordinary people? And then there's the other path, you know, the other narrative, which is that um, if, uh, uh, you know, if one is, if you can believe it, you can achieve it. The other is, well, what is what is? And so you just got to suck it up and stay stuck in your cubicle job and do it because this is all there is. You know, there's there's nothing else beyond this. Life is meaningless and you just need to, um, you know, do your job and just suck it up. And those two extremes, uh, I think are wrong. I think there's a middle path, which I describe in The Art of Work, uh, sort of as a way of using what some Sometimes feel like unlucky circumstances and a lack of opportunity in realizing that those don't actually disqualify you from meaningful work. They're a prerequisite for it. And so I wrote the book because I didn't hear a lot of people talking about that. I heard people wanting, you know, to have permission to go do something that mattered beyond just, you know, um, punching a clock, if people still do that anymore. Um, and, and yet I wanted a realistic approach to that where we acknowledged, uh, yeah, you do have some challenges and some obstacles, and it's not just going to be you know uh, rainbows and butterflies. Uh, and some of the things that look like they're failures now are actually going to lead to success later. And so you know that's why I wrote it. Fire Nation, what I'm doing here with Entrepreneur on Fire is I'm arming you for battle, for the battle for your life, to take over your life and, and to get that freedom that you want and that you deserve. That's why Jeff's back on the show. That's why the art of work needs to be by your bedstands as soon as possible. And if you go to eofire.com slash art, you're going to see some pretty cool things um, with this book that I'm pretty excited to to be sharing. So, Jeff, why don't you take a second here, um, give us a parting piece of guidance first and foremost, and then kind of dive into what's going to happen when Fire Nation goes to eofire.com slash arts. And, you know, just let's end it with a bang. Sure. <laughs> bang. Boom. <laughs> 
we, you need sound effects. I, I mean, this is this is what's lacking. Uh, Post production, check check <laughs> one. <laughs> Shark roars and <laughs> cannon. So there's this quote that I repeat throughout the book, uh, which you know I just it just kind of popped in my mind one day. I think that most people are waiting for permission or they're waiting to just know. I mean, this is something that I heard a lot, uh, you know, read in books or, you know, hear people on, you know, interviews or VH1 behind the scenes. And they say, I just knew that I wanted to be a firefighter or a musician, uh, you know, or a shark fisherman. And <laughs> I didn't experience that. You know, during the art of work, I read a bunch of biographies. I looked at my own life and I also interviewed hundreds of people that had found meaningful work. And I asked them, did you just know? And the honest answer when we dug down to the you know core of the story was no. I didn't just know, but I acted. And as I acted, clarity came with action. And this is a, a, a phrase, an idea that kind of kept popping up in all these different stories in the book. Clarity comes with action. So if you're waiting to get clear on something before you act, you're probably going to be waiting a long time. I'm not saying that does that doesn't happen for uh, everybody, but I'm saying for most people, it seems to not be the case that we find our life's work uh, by leaning in, by trying stuff and learning from those things as we go and pivoting along the way. And as we do that, we kind of course correct and find out where we need to be. And if you wait to get everything right or to have perfect clarity, uh, you may be waiting your whole life uh, just to live your life. So that's why I wrote the book. I'm super excited about it. Grateful to you, John, for uh, let me talk about it on the show. We're doing something really special for Fire Nation, um, where if you go to uh, that link, eofire.com slash art, uh, it's going to take you to a page that's going to tell you more about the book. And in between now and March 23rd, uh, we are um, doing an exclusive giveaway where uh, if you go there and you agree to pay $6.99 shipping and handling, you're going to get the book for free. But you're not just going to get this book with you know all these great stories. You're also going to get a four-part online video course where I teach about the four major mindset shifts that you have to go through in order to find meaningful work. I don't think that success is just about going and doing things. I also think it's about changing your mind about the way that you uh, approach life. And you're going to get uh, instant access to the digital books you can start reading today. This book actually doesn't come out until March 24th, and you can be reading it in advance before it's even on the bookshelves. And you're going to get several other bonuses that add up to over $250 worth of value just for ordering the book. Uh, There's a limited time to do that and paying the shipping and handling. So we'd love for you to check that out. So grateful to share some of this stuff with uh, you guys. And you can go to eofire.com slash art for more. Fire Nation, you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. You've been hanging out with Jeff and JLD today, so keep up the heat. And then head over to eofire.com. You can just type Jeff in the search bar. And again, this show notes page will pop right up with links to everything we've been talking about, absolutely everything. And I just want to go back over one more time. If you want the art of work for free, all you're doing is paying shipping. If you want that four-part video series that Jeff is talking about, and if you want all of this before the book's actually released, go to eofire.com slash art, A-R-T, and guess what? You get all of these things, but you got to make it happen before the 23rd of March. So, Jeff, I just want to thank you personally for coming back on Entrepreneur on Fire, for for sharing just your vision of the art of work and entrepreneurship in general. And for that, my friends, we salute you and we'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks, John. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today on Entrepreneur on Fire. Head over to eofire.com for links and recaps of every show and so much more. 
Also, if you're an entrepreneur who's prepared to ignite, visit thefirepath.com, where your passion and our guidance unite. See you there.